1: Daily Hammer, your daily news source when it comes to the Atlanta Braves as part of the Battery Power Podcast Network. My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a wonderful start to your Tuesday. To everyone who regularly listens to the podcast, all the Braves country, just everyone in general, Hope you, your family, your friends, your loved ones, each and every one of you, had a happy and healthy holiday season and Happy New Year to everyone in Braves Country. Of course, we also want to remind you that you can find the Daily Hammer Podcast, the Battery Power Podcast, as well as the podcast to be named later, all at BatteryPower.com at BatteryPowerSBN, across all forms of social media, and free on all podcast platforms. Wherever you choose to listen, that's where we'll be for free just hit that subscribe button and you'll get the latest content when it's available. My name's Sean Coleman. You can find me at StatsSEC on Twitter. When it comes to the Braves, here's the latest from Atlanta. And of course, with it being the new year, we now have had a bit of a lull when it comes to baseball activity over the past 10 or so days. That's to be expected when it comes to the holiday season. But as you've heard me mention many a time on the Daily Hammer, the Braves have been among the most among the most active teams in baseball. And that includes one major move, you know, in which they went out and they got Sean Murphy. And from that, they signed him to the six-year extension, you know, just like, I believe, you know, 10 days or so ago. Um, you know, they also um, have uh, gone out and made some some other, you know, significant moves. They, they signed Jordan Luplow. They've added to the bullpen and Joe Jimenez as well as Lucas Lickie, and among other moves to fill out depth on their 40-man roster. But as we go into the month of January, yes, there's been rumors that potentially we could see the trade market become a bit more active now that the free agent market does not have as many attractive options as many of the best names in the free agent market so far this offseason have already signed you know, for their long-term futures. So the trade market, trade rumors, trade conversations, could be picking up. But as we see almost every year, January also brings about the countdown to the announcement of that specific year that specific year's Hall of Fame class. And for 2023, it especially comes into focus for Braves fans as there is a few notable names. That have had various levels of impact when it comes to being a member of the Braves. And of course, I'm specifically talking about Andrew Jones, who obviously is one of the best Braves outfielders and most notable names, you know, over the past several decades in a Braves uniform. And then, of course, Billy Wagner, who yes, spent bigger parts of his career elsewhere, but had a very, you know, good end to his career in a Braves uniform. But of course, as we talk about the the countdown to the Hall of Fame class of 2023, it becomes you know a bit of an interesting conversation because you don't have any clear cut locks to be in the class this year. The bigger you know discussion could be about who's no, no longer on the list as Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, among others, are no longer eligible through the first or through through this main. Avenue to be voted into the Hall of Fame, and you do have a few notable names that are in their first year of potentially being elected, such as Carlos Beltran. Regardless, though there may not be any locks, that makes the conversation even more interesting as to who may finally get the nod, and of course, as we see every year, there are a few notable names who have been in the conversation for several years now. That would seem to make sense. That would It would seem as if their resumes made sense to eventually lead them to the Hall of Fame. Besides Billy Wagner and Andrew Jones, a few other names, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Gary Sheffield, Beltran, among others. Well, of course, with three weeks out, there still is plenty of voting that needs to be tallied as time goes on. But as we know from following Ryan Thibodeau, Jason Sardell, and others on Twitter, you can start to get an idea of who truly is going to have the best chances, who truly has a realistic chance of getting voted into the Hall of Fame. And right now, it really doesn't seem as if any players have a a favorable opportunity to get into the Hall. Now, that could change. As we get closer to the Hall of Fame announcement, three weeks from now on January 24th, but as of as of Monday, or excuse me, as of Sunday, when projecting out the chances of getting the 75% or better vote bo- vote of all Hall of Fame voters to get into the Hall of Fame, Scott Rowland had the highest chance of anyone, which was at currently at 20%. There is a it, it, Scott Rowland has a 20% chance based off voting projections right now of getting the necessary 75% to get into the Hall. So if Roland right now himself doesn't look favorable to get into the Hall, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Andrew Jones, the next three players who have the best chance among this current pool to get into the Hall of Fame, if Roland doesn't appear to be close to be getting into the Hall of Fame this year, it's not likely any of the others will either. But that doesn't mean that hope is lost. This is not a situation, as we unfortunately saw played out with Del Murphy. As time went on, Andrew Jones still has plenty of time to potentially be voted into the Hall of Fame. And the encouraging thing is, is that after last year, when I believe that Andrew Jones had around forty percent of the vote, this year Andrew Jones is likely going to have anywhere, anywhere between fifty-three and sixty-seven percent of the vote. So somewhere around fifty-five to sixty percent of the voters will likely vote Andrew Jones into the Hall of Fame. And while, yes, that still is a significant amount of room that he's got to make up to eventually get to 75%, he's continuing to show significant progress year by year that should, over the next few years, continue to give him the push that he needs to eventually be a Hall of Famer. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's great to see the progress... It's awesome to see that Andrew Jones is continuing to get the respect that he deserves. It's awesome to see that Andrew Jones is continuing to move in the right direction. But in my opinion, honestly, just as I have about Dale Murphy, and I, and I agree I'm biased, there shouldn't be a conversation. Andrew Jones is one of the best two way center fielders in Major League Baseball history. He's one of the best center field defenders in Major League Baseball history. And sure, The time of his production may have been shorter than many like. It was in his 20s. That's when Andrew Jones was productive in his career. It was in his 20s. For a lot of players who had historic production in their 20s, Andrew Jones had one of the steepest declines of those players once he got into his 30s. Yes, that is true. But that should not make anyone ignore just how special Andrew Jones was while he was in his 20s, and also should not make anyone ignore the fact that he was special both at the plate and in the field. This is an argument that's been made for a decade. Even before Andrew Jones was eligible, this has been an argument for years. That what makes Andrew Jones, that separates him from other outfielders, is how special he was both offensively and defensively. I'll put it into another perspective. If you go over to Baseball Reference and you look, if you query all Major League Baseball players, and you look at their production from the age of 20 through 29, and I do it by BWAR, whatever, you know, validity you place on that metric, I know it probably has some flaws, but, you know, it's a reasonable way to compare players in MLB. And so I looked at, you know, all MLB players between their age 20 and 29 season, basically how valuable they were in their 20s. And obviously we're speaking of position players when it comes to Andrew Jones and his peers. But when you look at any major league baseball position player that has played in their 20s in major league baseball history, Andrew Jones currently has the 24th highest BWAR among all MLB position players in their 20s in major league baseball history. He's been he was the 24th most valuable player when playing in his 20s of any player that's played in the history of the game. That's how special he was. Now, if 24th may not seem that impressive, okay. But let's look at it from another perspective. When you look at all the players that have ever played, all the position players that have ever played in their 20s, and you consider the 30 most valuable players in baseball history in terms of their production in their 20s, 25 of the 30 most valuable players in their 20s in Major League Baseball history currently have a spot in Cooperstown. Only five of the top 30 do not. The five that are not currently in Cooperstown are Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Albert Puholtz, Barry Bonds, and Andrew Jones. Now, Trout and Betts obviously are still playing. Albert Puholtz just retired. Barry Bonds is off the list now. He might get in one day. And then, of course, Andrew Jones. But my point is, is that if you're in the top 30 of that list, you're either already in the Hall of Fame, you are currently playing, you just retired, Barry Bonds, obviously, you know, in my opinion, has a resume to be in the Hall of Fame, but it's obvious, you know, there's the reasons why he's not, you know, whether or not he should be is a debate for another time. But then when it comes to Andrew Jones... He's a part of that group. He clearly should be in the Hall of Fame for multiple reasons. Number one, because of how good he was both defensively and offensively, but also for as long as he was. I understand that many of this top 30 group that Andrew Jones is a part of, many of those players remained historically productive into their 30s. Andrew Jones did not. But that still should not deny the fact of how special he was both offensively and defensively in one of the most taxing positions in the game. The fact that he had a steep decline in his early 30s should not make anyone ignore how special he was in his 20s. And the fact is, is that this wasn't just, you know, three or four years in his 20s. This was throughout the decade in which Andrew Jung played in his 20s in baseball. 10 Gold Gloves shows that he was productive throughout the entirety of his 20s. 10 years is, in my opinion, plenty of enough sample size to show how special Andrew was, Andrew Jones was, and it's a deep enough resume to get him in the Hall of Fame. While that likely won't happen this year, it's certainly good to see the progress that he eventually will hopefully get the nod over the next few seasons. But I know that this is a case that many have made before. I know it's a discussion that many have had in time, and this conversation has been going on for years. But in a year where there's more spotlight put on what exactly determines a Hall of Fame career, when you stack up Andrew Jones versus his peers that are already in the Hall of Fame or versus his peers that are currently hoping to be in the Hall of Fame one day, he stands out. And because of that reason, he should eventually get the nod. Even if it's not that even if it's not this year, he should eventually get the nod in time. Make sure you stick with the Battery Power Podcast Network and batterypower.com for the latest when it comes to the 2023 Hall of Fame class. Again, very unlikely Andrew Jones, Billy Wagner, others get the nod this year, but the hope is is that when the final tallies come across, they'll have made plenty of progress to well, to where it makes them likely to eventually get the nod to forever be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. They'll eventually get that nod in years to come.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself.
1: As we currently are in a bit of a quiet time, you know, in baseball when it comes to moves, rumors, what have you, with the holiday season now just being, you know, over the past... 10 or so days, it's always fun to read some of the stories that are out there that pay attention to, you know, parts of baseball that you normally wouldn't pay a lot of attention to. And, and one of the things that, you know, really stands out is that as the Braves continue to have more and more success, as they continue to extend this time frame and we in which they've been among the most successful teams in baseball over the past five years, including a World Series championship... And they arguably have the best core of major league talent moving forward over the next five to seven years. One thing that certainly is going to stand out is that as time goes on, the Braves' structure in their front office, as well as in their coaching staff, there are going to be other teams who are going to tap into that success. Whether it's potentially, you know, doing things, you know, the way that the Braves may do it, or in some cases, as we've seen over the past few seasons. Individuals from the Braves front office, from the Braves coaching staffs, heading to other places to take on bigger roles, to take on promotions, as they look to extend their own individual careers from what they've learned in Atlanta. An example, of course, is uh, Perry Maniason, who was a high-ranking official in the Braves front office. He left to eventually become, to eventually become the general manager of the Angels. Well, this uh, past uh, this offseason. We have seen another name that you may not necessarily be familiar with, but it's notable in terms of his involvement in much of the Braves' success. That is assistant coach, assistant hitting coach, well, former assistant hitting coach, Jose Castro, going from the Braves to the White Sox to be their new hitting coach. And another familiar name will be joining Castro in Chicago, and that's former um, third baseman Chris Johnson, who has had a bit of coaching experience so far in his career, but he will be taking on the same role with the White Sox that Castro had under Kevin Seitzer with the Braves. Now, you've heard me talk about it, you've heard many talk about it, is the fact that the Braves have done an outstanding job in recent years of helping notable names who were successful in the past, but recently, you know, over the past one to two years, have kind of fallen off in terms of their offensive production, but once they, you know, elsewhere, but once they arrived in Atlanta, they regained their past success. You've got names such as Josh Donaldson, Marcelo Zuna, um, Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Many of these names you know, showed impressive power, impre- impressive plate production in the past, but before they arrived in Atlanta, they had fallen off a bit. But once they got back to Atlanta, they regained much of their former value and, as a matter of fact, even took it to new levels in the case of many names that I just mentioned. And one of the reasons why the Braves have been so successful in being able to do that is that they've really been able to tap in to the offensive profiles of their hitters and make them more powerful than many may have expected once a player arrived to Atlanta or once a player got to the major league level after going through the Braves system. Talk about the power output of players such as Ozzie Albies and Dansby Swanson, the power that we saw from Michael Harris II last year. There's a reason, as an article through The Athletic mentioned, there's a reason why the Braves have led all of baseball in ISO since the start of the 2020 season is because there is a consistent and bought-in approach by the Braves' offense to position their swings in a way that's going to drive the baseball. And that's why we consistently see the Braves near the top of the leaderboards when it comes to extra base hits, total bases, home runs. It's why they were able to win the 2021 World Series, because in a lot of games they were the more powerful team. They hit the ball over the fence more frequently. It's why they beat the Bra- It's why they beat the Mets. They swept the Mets at the end of last year to win the division. And on the flip side, it's that same reason the, when the Braves weren't able to do that, the Phillies being the more powerful team in last year's NLDS is why they beat the Braves, and eventually went to the World Series as the, as the NL representative. So the point that I'm bringing up is this, is that as the Braves continue to have their success, as the Braves continue to win year after year after year, it's number one amazing to see how intact this coaching staff has been. Kevin Seitzer, Walt Weiss, among others, have done an incredible job supporting Brian Snicker in terms of preparing The young players for the Braves, players that are brought in to support the main core, they have done an incredible job. This coaching staff, number one, the front office has done done an incredible job of identifying players that probably could do better in Atlanta than they did elsewhere. But then this coaching staff has done a great job of applying, you know, whether it's different or same philosophies, they've done a great job in many individual cases of getting the most out of a player's offensive potential. So as time goes on and we see that there are needs to be filled, that's why potentially the Braves have not gone out and signed a big name at shortstop. That's why they've not potentially gone all in to go get a, a really notable name in left field. That's why we've seen the Braves go out and get a Sam Hilliard or a Jordan Luplo or others. The Braves feel that the way that they approach doing things, especially with their position players when it comes to offense, they have to feel confident that that approach is going to lead to better than expected production, or at least better production than where those players were previously. That contributes to the thought process of Alex Anthopoulos and his front office staff being so good when it comes to their moves on the margins and getting so much value at small costs, like we've seen him do time and time again. Now, at some point, that approach, you know, it has its limitations. Suggesting that 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 is good enough for the Braves to stand pat where they are in left field and shortstop currently going into the new year, I don't think that that's enough. While you may not necessarily get an all-star level player in left field or DH or shortstop over the next few months, I do think that the Braves need to upgrade at, at least one of those positions over what they currently have. But it is a reminder that when it comes to the Braves' success, beyond just the overall talent of players that they've already got within Atlanta for the foreseeable future, there also is clearly plenty of value being added, not only from the front office and identifying players that potentially could have come to Atlanta and do better in Atlanta than they did previously, but the fact that the coaching staff has consistently done a great job of helping those players do exactly that. And as time goes on, as we've seen with Jose Castro and as we've seen with Perry Maniason, that's going to mean that other teams are going to take from the Atlanta Structure of success and try to apply it to their own opportunities. And so it'll be interesting to see if what Jose Castro has learned within the Atlanta system, if he can take that to Chicago, who has a plethora of highly talented young offensive profiles, you know, in the White Sox lineup. It'll be interesting to see if Jose Castro, if Chris Johnson can start to produce some of the same success for the White Sox that the Braves have enjoyed with their young players over the past several years. Who knows? Maybe even one day, Jose Castro, Chris Johnson, maybe they can contribute to the White Sox potentially being a future opponent for the Braves in a World Series. A lot of fun to see. It's always fun. While you never want to lose, notable or valuable sources that have been a part of your string of success, it's always fun to see other organizations tapping into or recognizing that what has made you successful will make them successful as well. To me, that's the ultimate compliment that what the Braves have going on truly is sustainable and truly is what will make them a special group moving forward. Can't thank you enough for joining us here on the Daily Hammer. You can find the Daily Hammer, the Battery Power podcast and the Road to Atlanta podcast all at BatteryPower.com as well as at Battery Power SBN across all forms of social media. You can find myself at StatsSAC on Twitter and you can find the, the Battery Power podcast network free on all podcast platforms. Wherever you choose to listen, that's where we'll be for free. Just hit that subscribe button to get the latest content. My name is Sean Coleman. Always a pleasure to be with you. We'll talk to you again here soon on the Daily Hammer.